Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. It was um, in the 200s, 200 AD or so, there was a pastor called Arius. And if you like church history, you may have heard of a man called Arius. Um, and he was famous for essentially teaching Christian heresy. And he began to teach that the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, weren't actually equal. Um, because he looked at the Father and looked at the Son and thought, if the Bible calls Father, Father and Son, Son, then the Son was obviously born at some point. And so the Father was eternal and the Son is not eternal because he was created. And therefore, the Son is not the same as the Father, if that makes sense. And so he began to teach that actually Jesus is a lesser type of being than God the Father and basically kind of ripped apart the very centre of what Christianity is all about. And the emperor at the time then in the 300s, 325, Constantine, who converted to Christianity, having seen the disruption that this heresy was causing across the Roman Empire, called to all the bishops of the time, about 1,800 bishops, called them together to a council that happened in a, a Greek city called Nicaea, called them together to say, we want to put together a, a statement of faith that is essentially what we think the Bible teaches about the core foundations of the Christian faith so that we can help others, disciple others into what it is to be a Christian, people who become Christians. What is it to believe Christianity? this kind of core foundational faith so what they did i think about two three hundred bishops kind of gathered together and put what we now know is the nicene creed together and we still recite this to this day this core foundation of what it is to be a, a christian sometime later in 381 ad in constantinople the nicene creed was amended and added to it was a fuller version put together and in that fuller version they make one statement in it about the church. And in the, the Nicene Creed, as it's now called the complete version, there is a statement that says, I or we believe in one holy, Catholic, apostolic church. And it was this statement, this declaration, that we as Christians, we believe in God the Father, but we also believe in the church. That the church is actually central to what it is to be, a, to be a Christian. And what I want to do for a few moments today is really unpack why they thought at this time, just taking the scriptures to put the church at the very foundation of what it is to be a Christian. Because if you are a Christian today, you will know this temptation to feel like I want to follow Christ. And if there's a way that I don't have to wake up and go to church and I don't have to deal with other Christians and I don't have to serve on a rota, then maybe I could do that. And with technology in my hand and all the best worship bands and preachers and like my app here, I could just do that with the temptation there and the possibility. We've got to wrestle with why did those early Christian leaders put the church at the very foundation of their statement of faith? To believe, there are different ways than we say that we believe. So I could say, I believe in Jesus. And I could mean that in the sense that, like, I believe he exists. Well, I believe that he was a man who existed. Like, I believe that the Arctic exists. Like, it's there. It's, it, it exists. Or I can also say, I believe in Jesus, as in, I'm placing my life, my trust 
in this man's hands like I put all my sin and my past and my future in this man's hands and I trust him so I can say also I believe in a trusting sense so there are different ways in which we talk about belief so at the beginning of the statement we talk about our father almighty who created the heavens and the earth what we're saying is we're trusting in this god with our very lives when we say we believe in the church we don't quite mean the same thing so i could talk about i believe in chelsea football club for example if i was going to talk about Mpume and arsenal if you don't like football my apologies but Arsenal was on, Mpume was on the WhatsApp yesterday bragging about Arsenal. But I could say, London's not red, no. I, I, I could say, I believe in Chelsea Football Club, for example. As in, like, if you go down to Fulham, you'll see the stadium there. It exists, like it's there. And I could also say, I'm believing in Chelsea this season. Like, and you know what I mean, like, oh, you think Chelsea are going to do well this season, you think they're going to thrive, you think they're actually a good team and they're going to really win something, right? So I believe, you, you can say something like that, can't you? I believe in, I think that's what they were trying to get across when they say we believe in the church, we believe in the one holy Catholic apostolic church we actually believe that the church is a force for good and that it will actually thrive and do well unto the last day not just that we believe it exists like yeah sure there's churches all over the place but actually no we believe that the church is going to do well on the basis of the promise of Jesus Christ who says I am going to build my church and then went to die for her on the basis of Christ his promise his death and resurrection we can say we believe in the church she's going to do well but we also know that there is a reality that we have to deal with if we're going to say this because Lots of people don't like Christianity and don't believe in Christ because they've looked at the church and looked at all the horrendous things the church has been involved with and said, no, thank you. Looked at the ways that the church has been complicit in racist attitudes and practices, the way that the church has used its money for ungodly gain. The way that the church has not only abused people, but then leaders have covered up abuse. And people have looked at all of this and some of us have even felt hurt in churches. Anyone like dare to put a hand up? You think, yeah, like churches have actually been the place where I've felt sometimes the most hurt. So you're telling me like, you have to believe in the church, the one holy Catholic, well, when we say we believe in the church, we're not being naive. It's not just a young, naive thing of like, wow, it could be amazing. It's like so exciting. When we as Trinity Church London say we believe in the church, it's, a, it's an awareness that the church is sinful and flawed, mainly because you're in it and I'm in it. But yet, Christ died for the church. And we're told in Acts 20, 28, that the church of God was purchased by his blood so that then we might be presented before Christ one day in splendor. So is this gritty, stubborn belief 
that looks at the flaws of the church and sees the sin of the church and says, and yet Christ has a plan for her. And yet through our sin, Christ is redeeming us one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And yet there are good days ahead of us for the church because Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell and our sin will not prevail against her amen Amen. it's interesting in matthew's gospel when jesus gets to this point almost halfway through the gospel he's been teaching people who he is and up to this point he asks peter in this passage that on a hill he read for us you know who do people say i am and peter's the first one who gets it you're the son of god like you are god come down and come we actually see you are the christ the messiah the one we've been hoping for and as simon gets this um, jesus then turns and says in that moment as soon as he gets to jesus he says okay now i'm going to tell you why i've come I've come to build my church and immediately he starts talking about his death and resurrection because the promise is not just a verbal promise it's grounded in a reality it's grounded in the God man Jesus Christ being crucified taking on the sins of the church and redeeming us and raising us up to a new life in his own resurrection so the end of Jude we're told we will be one day presented to God in joy this is no naive belief that we have but what i want to do is just for a few minutes is just walk through what it means for us to be one holy catholic and apostolic church because we recite this creed sometimes and so i think it's useful for us to know what some of these words mean because if you're like me you think firstly like holy really like i'm in the church for one so how does that work out catholic are we catholic why aren't you wearing a robe where are the smells and the bells apostolic didn't that die out in the previous age like are we apostolic now is paul about to preach for us all these questions you might arise for us what are all these words and so i want to unpack this and some of the glory and the power of what the church is and then we're going to come to communion and gather around christ who said i'm going to build this church is that okay okay thank you thanks Mpumu. i'm glad it's okay <laughs> It's more of a polite British, is that okay? Like, just trying to be nice. And, um, so what does it mean for us to be one? The, the writers of the First Creed, what they really were intending to mean was a united church, a, a church that is bound together in a, in a unity, that there is, there is one church, which obviously immediately flags up a, a problem because at a very top level, we have like the Catholic church, and protestant churches and a protestant someone who protests against another part of the church by its very name doesn't sound particularly united yeah i'm i'm a protestant oh and you're one church right okay like talk to me about that what 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 is we actually talking about here and we will have been in churches that sometimes even churches start because of splits people fall out if you're new to church or you're not a christian I just have to let you know up front that churches do sometimes fall out and there are divisions and splits and just people don't get on sometimes. So when uh, the the writers of this creed were saying there is one church, what what were they talking about? Let me just read Ephesians chapter 4 for us just for a moment and just 
hear these words and how Paul unpacks our oneness. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul's assumption is that there is a bond of peace, there is a unity that we have, and we're not trying to create a unity. Paul teaches that you are to maintain a unity that has already been given to you. Does that make sense? So we're not trying to like, hey, we've all fallen out, we're enemies, let's try and be friends. No, as you gather together as Christians, you are united, maintain that unity. And then he says this, there is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Do you get the point? There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So we're, we're called a church. I mean, in the English language, we call ourselves a church. You could also say assembly or called out ones, but normally call ourselves church. It's just now simple. And in, in other European, I don't know about other languages, but in other European languages, you get, the, we're called churches in similar life. So if you go to Scotland, you will come across some kirks. Any Scottish people in the house? 50% I'm here? No, all right, I'm by myself, all right. <laughs> if you go to Holland, you will find kirks. I think that's how you say it. If you're any Germans here? I think it's Kirche. But basically you get the point. I'm trying to get across the point that there is a similar root to all of these words. And the root where we get church from is actually the same word as Lord, curios. That sometimes when we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're saying curios Jesus. He is the curios. And when we talk about ourselves as the church, it is derived from this saying we actually belong to the curios. The Lord himself, that wherever we may be in Germany or Holland or Korea or China or Brazil or London, that we actually are found in one head, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our very name, Trinity Church, declares that there is a oneness that is found because we have one saviour in Jesus Christ. We have one head. We have one God. We have one saviour and one Lord who is father over all. And so we gather in him. So in that way, we are united with our brothers and sisters. So you will have had that sometimes. We talk about having a family all across the world, people that you don't yet know. And you sometimes meet another Christian and there is this immediate kinship that is sparked up. Why? Because we have one Lord and we are part of one church in him. And so it is our role as Trinity Church London to bring it back to us, to live into and to maintain the oneness of the Spirit. And this isn't just organisational unity. I don't think when Jesus prayed in John 17 that we might be united as he is united. I don't think he was just meaning an organisational unity across the face of the globe. That would get very complicated. I think what he was talking about was a tight tapestry of friendships 
where people gave themselves to one another in love and service. That even with our different preferences and our different backgrounds and our different socioeconomic backgrounds, we might gather together as one and maintain our unity and display the fact that we have one Lord in our Jesus Christ. Amen? It means very practically, when you're trying to do church together, there are some things that are open-handed issues that are just like our preferences and some things that are closed-handed issues. So the truths of the scriptures are in a closed hand. We, we, we can't let go of gospel realities and gospel truth. But there are lots of things that are just preferences. Amen in church? You think some of you, you wish like we're a bit more organized and structured. You're like, I wish I knew really what was going on. Some of you are like, why is it so structured? Why are the chairs in rows? Wish we could be a bit more free and just in the spirit. Like we have preferences. Some of you want to sing for longer. Some of you want shorter sermons. My apologies. You have preferences. And when we gather together as a community with one Lord, we're saying, I'm willing to lump some of my preferences for the sake of something that is actually beautiful in a unity when different people gather together as one. Amen? We're one, firstly. Secondly, we're holy. Don't snigger. <laughs> We're a holy church, we're told. Even in, we're told in 1 Corinthians 1, talking to a church, right, you think like churches today have issues. The church in, the ch church in Corinth, they had people who were sleeping with their mother-in-laws. Like this was a church that had issues. Like you think we have issues. They had issues. Like there was all sorts of stuff, corruption going on in that church that was just wrong. And Paul addresses the church as saints, <laughs> the saints in Corinth. How can he declare them as holy ones? There are two different types of, of, of holiness in the scriptures. The first speaks of moral purity, which is like, actually, we live a type of life that is just morally pure. Like you can like search my life. You won't find anything wrong, morally impure in my life. There's that kind of there's also another actually broader, more foundational sense of holiness, which is this idea of being set apart, that something is made holy, it's taken from common use and set apart for an uncommon use, a holy use. And very often places are declared holy in the, in the scriptures. So you'll know the moment where Moses gathers, meets God in the burning bush. So Moses is working as a shepherd and he's walking through the wilderness and he sees this burning bush. And to have a burning bush in the wilderness is not necessarily like unusual. But Moses notices that this burning bush was on fire, but not actually burning up. It's just on fire, but the leaves were being maintained. And so Moses comes close to investigate this bush. And out of the bush, the Lord God himself speaks to Moses and addresses him. And he tells Moses, Moses, take off the sandals from your feet for the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. Like, so you've got to think about this. There's, there's sand, there's dust, there's dirt and rocks on the ground. Like inanimate objects, God declares holy. So he's not speaking about moral purity, like well done grains of sand. You've done really well over this last year. You've not sinned and you've read your Bible. No. What, what is he talking about? He's saying this ground is now set apart. Why? Because the Lord's presence is here. 
wherever the Lord is there is holiness there is a setting apart and so Moses takes off his sandals recognizing that this moment is a set apart holy moment the temple when God comes down it is declared holy because the presence of God is in the temple so those who come and the priests they bow down with their faces before the Lord because this place has been sanctified and set apart because the Lord is there it is a holy place and so when Jesus comes along and he says to his disciples where two or three gather there I am with them this isn't used as an excuse for like a poorly attended church prayer meeting which it often is by pastors oh there's only two or three of us don't worry Jesus said there's only, there's only two of us so it's, but it's fine Jesus said it's going to be alright so it's, we sometimes like get out claws like oh no Jesus was making a profound statement that in the gathering of my disciples I will be there and therefore that place will be holy that gathering will be set apart it will not be a common gathering people will gather to power in parliament but that is common when God's people gather in Jesus Christ's name it is set apart as holy because the Lord has said my presence will be there one writer Hazer, I don't, have, I don't have it here. One writer, Hazer, he, he said that in the declaration of Christ being with his people, he says there is, when Christians gather into one place, a clearing of the spiritual ground so that light might prevail in the midst of darkness. So that when you and I gather, it is no common meeting it is a holy gathering where God resides because we are clearing spiritual ground even as we come in this place and agree in Jesus name this is a holy moment Richard and I were chatting at the end of the service last week and saying how different it is to worship with church than it is to worship at home and you know the difference right you can have like Maverick City leading you in worship in your bedroom and it's amazing or you can have hilly in the band worshiping with god's people in a physically gathered meeting and that is holy because we've gathered together as christians and as the lord resides with us there is holiness amen so we gather together thirdly this we're a catholic church some of you who come from like Brazil and other places and Catholic backgrounds, you will wonder, okay, talk to me about this because this feels confusing because this is as far from Catholic as, you know, I, I tell sometimes people I'm a pastor and they assume immediately, like, they, they look at me and think, no, you're not because I know what they look like. They wear those collars and they wear gowns and I, I like to say, I wear it just like this to church. Oh, no, 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 it doesn't make sense. So how are we how are we catholic the very word itself literally means according to the whole holos catholic holos according to the whole so when we talk about catholic we're not talking about just the catholic church or that that is embraced by the word it is actually talking about the totality 
of God's church that we can see and that we can't see. So there are parts of Jesus' church that has gone before us but have already died and are with Jesus already in heaven right now. There are parts of the church that we can see here in this room. We look around and say, this is part of Jesus' church. There are other parts of Jesus' church that are gathering other parts of London. There are Jesus' church that are gathering in Korea and Japan and all parts of Africa and everywhere. And when we talk about the Catholic Church, we are talking about the totality of Jesus' church that will one day be revealed. We're told in Revelation 7 that one day all of God's people from every tribe, nation, language, tongue will be gathered and it will be on display and she will be glorious. She will be beautiful and we will see it. We see a little glimpse right now. We see only in part, but one day we will see in full the glory of the Catholic church the church in her totality which means at very least we should not take our confidence in christianity or in the good of the church from what we see in a moment like this because you think wow in the west right now the church is struggling which is true like the culture is moving against the church you think well if we listen to the culture and we look around at the culture enough we think Does the church have a future? But as Christians, what we need to do is remember that no, we're not part of just Trinity Church London. We are part of the Catholic Church. We take a step back and we look back at past, present, future, here on earth and there in heaven. We look at all that Jesus is doing and the whole church. And from that, we take confidence to know that the church will thrive until the last day. Amen. She will do well. And then lastly, we know this, that we are an apostolic church. So the Catholic church, kind of small c that we know today, the Catholic church will define themselves as apostolic because from the Pope today, they can trace the succession of popes all the way back to Peter. And that's how they define apostolic. For us, we don't define apostolic in that way. And it's it's doubtful probably that you can actually go back and every single pope go back exactly to Peter. We don't define it in that way. We define ourselves as apostolic in that we take the scriptures and the teaching of the apostles as our authority as a church. And so that as we submit to, as we preach, as we read, as we study the scriptures and what the apostles taught, those who knew Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, and as we submit to all of this, we are apostolic because we are in line with the apostles and their ministry. So there is no disunity between us and the apostles' ministry because we are simply following their teaching. So the challenge for us today is whether we will listen to the culture and the cultural narrative and the cultural teaching or whether we will listen to the apostolic teaching and our power and our authority and our fruitfulness and our joy and our preservation will be maintained as we are an apostolic church following the apostolic teaching. Amen? Which is why we place the Bible at the centre of everything that we, that we do. 
This is where we derive all of our joy, all of our power, our authority, anything. We, we just say, this, this is what the apostles taught. We are going to follow this in our day and in our age. And in that way, we are apostolic. So here we have the glory of the church. And the call for us is to give ourselves to the church, to the Lord's one. That that was purchased by Jesus Christ. To pray for her, to serve her, to give financially to her, to be on mission with her, to love her, to be there for her good. This is much more than just being on a rota. This is believing in one holy, catholic, apostolic church that she will do well based on the promise of Christ. We have one final problem. There may be a few more problems, but one final problem I want to mention. And that's our own heart. Because we're swimming in a culture today that essentially tells you and I that if you want to live a free and flourishing life, you should probably run away from institutions and responsibilities. Anyone know that? Like, basically, we are indoctrinated from the age of four or five with our Disney films. And even now films, like I see films pop up about like grandpas and grandmas, like going AWOL in Vegas. Like, this is the life of freedom. You know, like you've seen these like films like, what, how far degraded has our culture come? Like, this is now the picture of freedom. Like, you're 82 and really freedom is just abandoning the responsibility to love and serve your family and just spend your inheritance and do whatever by yourself like this is what is pictured as freedom today now forget responsibility and this is so hardwired in us that when it comes to church we can start excited we think yeah 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 i heard the sermon like okay oh like i think i could say that i'll give myself the church i'm like or you go to a few meetings and they're a bit like, ah, oh, it wasn't as profound as I hoped. And it feels more exciting watching stuff on YouTube because it feels a bit more jazzy there. And like the prayer meeting, I don't know, like what was going on? I don't or someone says something to you and it kind of hurts a little bit. And you're like, ah, oh, that wasn't quite what I was hoping for. I was hoping for a hug and they gave me this terrible advice. And do I want to go back? And all of these things can happen in our hearts. And there is this big gravitational pull always leading us away from community and responsibility to others. Does anyone feel this pull? And in our therapeutic culture, we're basically taught that find your safe space, which is basically somewhere by yourself, like an Instagram version of freedom that is kind of an amazing sunset by yourself without people, basically, because people are just annoying. That's like, don't take that out of context. Daniel said people are annoying. <laughs> this is what is going on in our heart. And I know that that sense of like, ah, but Galatians 5.13 teaches us that true freedom, biblical freedom, doesn't run away from responsibility and community and institution, but true freedom actually serves others through love. True freedom uses its freedom to walk towards other people, to take on responsibility, to walk into a community, to see this church thrive and do well. And this is what we have as Jesus Christ at the very centre of our faith. Jesus Christ, who had all freedom, 
The scriptures tell us in Psalm 115 verse 3 that he is in the heavens and he does anything that he pleases. He has no physical, no emotional, no financial constraints on him that he might be constrained by anything. He does anything he pleases. Christ is the only person who was chosen, who chose when to be born. I don't think you chose like, yeah, I'd like to be born in 1992. This would be a good age. I think now's my time in history. I'm going to make... No, only Christ chose when he was going to... That's freedom. That's another level of freedom that we, we don't have, I would suggest. He was free from sin. He was free from peer pressure and the opinions of others. Imagine that. Like you, you actually are totally free from what others think about you. You cut your own path. That was Christ. He was free to do whatever. He was free to perform miracles free to exercise power like no one had ever seen. And how does this Jesus use his freedom? Jesus Christ uses all the freedom that he has in the universe, untied to anything by his own will. And he says, with my freedom, I am going to submit myself to my father's will and I'm going to walk towards a community, even though I will suffer and die on a cross. I will walk towards you, Trinity, even though it means my own crucifixion. I will lay my own freedom down, knowing that I desire more than that to see a church, a bride arise from the ashes, that you might be presented in glory before me. Amen. Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. So if Christ, who is at the very centre of our church, used all of his freedom to walk towards us, even though it meant crucifixion, could we walk towards the church and love her with all of her sins and flaws and imperfections and things that aren't quite to our preference but with the belief that she is one holy catholic apostolic church amen amen, amen.